Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, March 16th, and we know what you fans might be thinking. There are going to be no ATP or WTA results over the next six weeks. Play suspended on the tours for the foreseeable future, given the ongoing concerns about the spreading coronavirus. And we understand that here at Cracked Rackets, obviously safety comes first. We would hate to be playing events compromising the safety, not only of these players, of these fans, uh, officials, all of these tournament volunteers as well. But that being said, there are still plenty of storylines and controversies for us here to explore explore at the mini break podcast and we want to provide you fans some sort of comfort knowing that day in day out while your routines may be changing you can still rely on us to provide you your daily fix of tennis coverage so that's what we're going to be doing today and joining me on today's mini break podcast as he so often does you know him as a former Denison men's tennis superstar co-host of these mini break podcasts I affectionately refer to him as James Fulston McDonald Jamie welcome back to the mini break how are you doing right now thank you thank you no i feel like uh you know you and i of course have paired up so many times on these but i feel like it's been a while um that's that's definitely more on me than you right um you know started leading those high schoolers to glory uh, only to have the season <laughs> at least shut down for the next month so um sounds sounds like i'll be back and you and i'll be on even more of these at least for the foreseeable future so no it's exciting as I started to read my intro for you, not read it, but recite it, I did think to myself, hmm, what's the third thing I usually say about Jamie? You're right. It has been a week break. And of course, given all the fluctuation going on in the world, uh, that completely makes sense. We all had things we had to take care of in our personal lives. But I'm not going to say there's a positive coming out of this coronavirus because there are no positives. But certainly, it's time for us to, at Crack Rackets to get creative. And you know, there's no one I would rather get creative with than you, Jamie. So I know uh, over these next couple of weeks, I will be leaning on you as a crutch as we try and develop all sorts of Cracked Rackets content to keep you fans entertained. And, you know, the reason we are able to do that, of course, due to our friends at Diadem Sports who have continued to support us despite the fact that there's no new results coming. And we are so appreciative of Diadem, and you fans know the deal by now. Diadem Sports uh, helping tennis players around the globe elevate their games by designing the most innovative performance tennis gear on the planet. It's not just their Nova 100, their Elevate 98 rackets, which were developed with your performance in mind and, of course, crafted to your various game styles, whether it's the power and explosiveness of a Max Rothman, the precision and control of yourself, Jamie McDonald. But it's also their string technology, their Elite XT, their Solstice Power, their Flash Strings. And I know you, Jamie, actually just ordered yourself a reel of Diadem Strings. How are you feeling with them thus far? Yeah, no, I've been using Elite XT for the last couple of weeks. Got, got myself a nice real 17-gauge Elite XT. It uh, feels really good. 
Uh, let me tell you what, there's a lot of spin. The kick serve, look, it, it was already disorienting for the high schoolers. Now it's just one notch more. It just, it, it's truly blowing them off the court now. So they're going to have to get some diadem, uh, some gear, particularly maybe some string to try and keep up with me now. But no, it's hitting really well. I like it for sure. You know these diadem strings are worthwhile if Jamie's kick serve is throwing people's off at this point. So yeah, that is Chalk, a, full, <laughs> a full-throated endorsement. And I imagine they still accentuate your forehand slice. Oh, very well. Let me tell you, the slice is even prettier. If if that if that were possible, you know, I don't know if it is, but it feels good. I'll put it that way. That is great to hear. Look, it's not just strings and racket. You can get their diadem premier balls. They've also got fantastic swag, their sweatshirts, their hoodies, their shirts, all of the above. Uh, it's really the product you want to be using moving forward if you are a tennis player, regardless of your level. So be sure to go to their website, diademsports.com. Plug in, plug in our promo code CR50. Get 50% of your order off. I also know right now they've got their string kits. They're selling three strings, $20. You'll also get a can of premier tennis balls as well as a drawstring diadem bag so again go check out our friends diademsports.com use that promo code cr50 and again a huge shout out to them for their continued support of this podcast but as we mentioned off the top uh, the results going to take a hiatus for a while but there are still storylines and controversies for us to explore we're going to be doing a bunch of that moving forward here every day on the mini break podcast a thing we did in the build-up to this season is we talked about a bunch of the players we were watching most closely heading into 2020, the players we circled as potential breakout candidates or candidates who were just outside the top 100 we thought could make a jump into the top 50, people who were in the top 50 who we thought, hey, maybe they're going to be seated come this year at the Grand Slams. Maybe uh, they're going to make that jump into the top 20 or even the top 10. And we want to do sort of a review of that. We also want to look at the players who have really dictated the storylines thus far in 2020. So we're going to be talking about all sorts of different things. And the only place we thought fitting to start, the only undefeated player left on either the men's or women's circuit, putting forward another dominant start to a season, Novak Djokovic, who at this point in the calendar year, you look at what he's accomplished thus far, Djokovic uh, on another tear. He's 18-0, two titles on his season. That doesn't include the ATP Cup title. He helped lead Serbia two earlier in the year. It's been such an incredible start. So what Jamie and I are going to be doing today, talking about that start of the season, talking about why it's happened the way it is. Is it a product of Djokovic getting you know even better as he enters this season? Is it a product of other players on the tour dropping off? All of those sorts of questions. And I think the place we have to start, Jamie, is with a recap of his year thus far. As I mentioned, he's 18-0. He won the ATP Cup alongside of Serbia. He won the Australian Open, won the fi- one of the final tournaments we saw played in Dubai. You talk about the wins he's accumulated along the way. He's beaten Nadal, Medvedev, Shapovalov, Christian Guerin, Dominic Team, Roger Federer, Gael Monfils, Stefano Tsitsipas, Karen Kiachnov. I mean, Jamie, it's been a dominant. I, I don't know what word other to use than dominant to describe the start to his season thus far. Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's come out in full force, right? And, and every time you, you think about Djokovic and having phenomenal seasons, right? I mean, obviously, you and I know this very well, right? What do we think of? Oh, maybe our 2015s and our 2011s, right? Um, those crazy times where he's just simply looked unstoppable. And really, from what we've seen so far, it's kind of more of the same. He has looked so good. There's a couple hiccups. Maybe you point to that Monfils match in the semis um, that he just had, but 
you know, ultimately he just wins that because it's Djokovic Monfils and he has that locked down and he's so mentally tough. He comes back there. Um, I mean, really, he's just looked so good and really this is what we've come to expect, right? You know, maybe not sheer dominance and being 18 and 0 to start the year, but this level number one in the world, um, looking so good, looking physically fit, being able to just win title after title. I mean, this is Novak Djokovic's peak. Yeah, and I know, you know, we have talked so much about the implications of the coronavirus, and we wanted to take a reprieve from doing that on today's Mini Break podcast. Of course, if you want to hear more of the fallout of the virus, how it affects the players on tour, what the players, you know, if they had a union, could they could collective bargain, would we be seeing the results looking different than they are right now? Uh, we talk about that on today's, <clears throat> excuse me, Great Shot podcast, where we had Sports Illustrated's John Wertheim join us. So for more of that coverage, be sure to check that podcast out, but it's so interesting that you use the term hiccup, right? And we talked about it when it happened. I think it's like the 17th or 18th time, I don't remember, that Novak Djokovic fought off a match point and went on to win the tournament in Dubai. You mentioned he fought off, I think it was three match points in that match against Gael Monfils. And let's start there. In terms of the level we've seen from Novak Djokovic, because you look in his career right now, and according to his career stats on Wikipedia, and you know, Wikipedia, always take it with a grain of salt, but right Right now, he is in the midst of his seventh 20-plus match win streak, and he joked about it after Dubai, uh, you know, my goal this year is to go undefeated, and then he said, ha-ha, just kidding. Um, but you talk about the level we've seen from Djokovic. I would make the case, and I was watching highlights in the build-up to this, I don't think this is the best Novak Djokovic we've ever seen. And now, look, he's turning 33 years old in May. You know, he's not the—oh, it's not fair to say he's not the athlete he once was, but you talk about the best seasons Djokovic has put together. I mean, you can go all the way back to when he ran off 43 straight wins at the start of 2011 or, you know, that 2015 season when he was—was was it 2015? I think it was 2015. 2015, yeah. Yeah, when, when he was just exceptional and so— Certainly, you know, that he was 20, what, six years old or whatever at the time. I I don't think anyone would expect him to physically still be at that level, but that's the thing. It's just physically the way he's able to impose himself. He just seems as confident as he's ever been on the tennis court. And I think all of us were so excited to getting to watch him go out to Indian Wells in Miami this year, where he didn't have success last season. You talk about uh, his results there. He was eliminated fairly early on in both of those tournaments, I believe in Indian Wells. Uh, It was something along the lines of he made, I guess he made the semifinals there last year. Oh no, that was in doubles, excuse me. Last year, he made the third round of Indian Wells he made the fourth round of Miami, and given that he won both events for three straight years between 2014 and 2016, given that, you know, Rafa lost to team um, <clears throat> at the Australian Open and that Feder was going to be out for the foreseeable future with his knee injury, it did feel like he was in the position to run the table, and I don't know. I mean— This is one of my things, and let's start with his tennis, the tennis we've seen thus far. Am I crazy, Jamie, or is he playing more drop shots than he ever has and moving forward more than he ever did earlier in his career? Yeah, specifically when you talk about the drop shots, um, you know, sometimes this is one of those things, too, where it's just like, I don't know how to put it. Sometimes it's a great play, sometimes it's not. I'll say that much. And yeah, it's easy to turn around and say, oh, great play when it works out. Too many times, though, he's turning to it as the bailout shot, I think. Um, And to me, honestly, I think Djokovic plays way more mental games and mind games than people think. 
Um, I think people think of him as just a straight-up player. I think he loves to toy with people, and I think that a lot of times this is how he does it. Even if he gives up a cheap point, I don't think he cares. He puts on that show. He gets them into points. He really drags people around matches more than they think. He puts himself in tough just situations, gets them, gets himself out of it just to make them feel worse. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading way far into these things, and, and I'm interested to hear what you say. But to me, that's just what it looks like. Now, you know I always enjoy when you go with a take like that because that's the sort of take I could not agree with more. The, the analogy I always like to make, he's the sort of guy who plays with his food, right? It's almost like he gets bored on the court. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you're never going to hit through me. And it's funny, we, we've talked about this before. The only way to beat Djokovic is to hit him off the court, to hit through him. And that's why on a day-to-day basis, it's so difficult to defeat him. You talk about the guys who have taken sets off of him this season. It was Jan Leonard Struff in that first round match in Australia who was just hitting bombs in that third set. You talk about Dominic Team in sets one or in sets two and three, excuse me, was just playing lights out tennis. And of course, that's why I always say, you know, why Roger Federer uh, is a particular good matchup is because when he's playing, I mean, particular good matchup, all with a grain of salt, but Federer's the sort of guy who's going to take chances, who's going to play big. And, you know, that's the only way to beat Djokovic is you have to take your chances. But I agree with you. And I I kind of do wonder, are the drop shots a fact that, look, he doesn't want to be playing 20-shot rallies this this late in his career, particularly early in the season, or at least what we thought was going to be early in the season? Is he going with the drop shot? Is he employing all of these, you know, moving forward tactics to try and shorten points up, get himself ready for the uh, clay court portion of the season? And it was a couple of weeks ago there, Matt Willis at Matt Rackett made the point on tennis Twitter, was he practicing his drop shot? because he knows how far behind the baseline Rafa plays on the clay and was he working on that shot to gear himself up for another French Open run. I thought it was a fascinating uh, thought exercise and you know the match he played against Rafa this year, 2-6 and six victory for him at the ATP Cup. He used that drop shot so often and he was moving forward but he just seems so secure in his game at this point and it's the little things he's doing better and better as you look at what he's done this season you know, he's making 67% of his first serves, winning 78% of those points, 55% of his second serve points. All of those statistics, uh, except for, I should say, the first serve statistics, all higher than his career averages. Uh, His career, 65% on the first serve, 74% first serves won. He's also going after second serve uh, returns like he always does, but even more effective right now for his career. He's a 55% winner on second serve return points, which, by the way, is just freaking crazy crazy. Uh, Right now, this season, he's at 59%. He's playing more aggressively. I think that would be my takeaway. And for a guy who, you know, when he needs to go into the, and we saw this against Monfils, the, all right, I'm three feet behind the baseline and I'm just not going to miss. He certainly still has that gear, but I do think we see Djokovic getting ready for his age 34, 35, 36, God willing, 37 age seasons to where maybe he's not going to be able to do that. And I guess my question to you is, do you think this is him making that adjustment, trying to work in more aggression, or is it just a mind game like you mentioned? It's a good question. 
I, I, there, there's probably some truth to both. I mean, I think this isn't this isn't an uncommon thing, right? We see Nadal, um, you know, even Carlos Mona has talked about it quite a bit, employing new strategies to be more aggressive. Nadal has been fairly open about it in press conferences and everything too, right? He knows as he's getting older, yes, that sort of tried and true grinding down just isn't going to work. It's going to put too much stress on his body. And so he's had to be more aggressive, not only with his serve, but his serve plus one. Um, so we've seen Nadal's game shift that way. He's done a great job of also coming to the net to finish points. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's not crazy to say Djokovic is doing some of the same because obviously, you know, Nadal's had some success with it. I think for me, though, Djokovic, it, it's just confidence. He's just so confident right now because he knows he's like, OK, I can play more aggressive. I could win. I can also stand 30 feet behind the baseline and grind and win. I can do anything and beat you. And I think that's the point right now. It's like, oh, you're going to go up a set? Okay. <laughs> you know, I'll break you in the first game of the next one and win it, right? Like, it's just, he has so much confidence in his back pocket, and, and he deserves to, right? I mean, especially on a hard court. There's no reason that he shouldn't go out there every time. If he's down 5-0, he's like, yeah, okay, right? Like, he just knows how to get out of situations, and his game has looked so solid. And even in the times when it hasn't looked solid, I mean, you, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But you know those shots he misses, and he just, like, does the weird off-balance thing? I, yeah, I never I know what to think of that. I never know what to think of that when he does it. But to me, I think so much of it can be attributed to the mind games that he plays with his opponents. And, uh, I mean, truth be told, yeah, it would probably bother me. I'd be like, yo, what's this guy's deal? And then he comes <laughs> out and just wrecks me. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's what it is, right? Like, it's just it, – there's so many different things going on right now. And, and Djokovic, he has that mental edge, right? Obviously, he has the competitive drive. He has the ability to do so many things on the court with his racket. But then when it comes down to it, he knows how to get out of rough situations – and he knows how to toy with people. He knows how to make people mad and make people miserable, right? Uh, and, and we saw that against Monfils. We've seen it many times against Gael in the past, and he just does it again. Um, and so he finds a way to win. And thus far in 2020, you know, I, you know, with the coronavirus and everything pending throughout the year, we'll see what happens, obviously, and, and how much more of Djokovic we get to see, at least on the early um, hardcore swing. But, yeah, going to the clay courts – who knows? I mean, the drop shot, yes, we see that used quite a bit. Yes, if he's going to go against an Adal and team, that's going to be something he's certainly going to employ. So, yeah, I think he's practicing getting ready for some of it. The point is, though, he's so confident in his game that he can just, okay, yeah, I'm going to go practice against this guy because when I need to win a point, I will, right? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I think we have our definitive image of the season already, and it's him stretched out. Everyone's turned it into a Spider-Man sort of gif or whatever. And, you know, seeing him in that position, uh, what it makes me think is maybe for the first time, I mean, you know, he got injured towards that second half of 2016, and it affected him throughout 2017. Mm -hmm. Certainly towards the end of 2018, the start of 2019, we saw him get healthy again, but then those health issues lingered at the end of last season. He looks healthy right now, and that probably plays a factor in his confidence, certainly. Um, But the match that comes to mind, you talk about just sort of lingering and wait and biding his time and doing just enough to get the job done. Case in point was that Australian Open final against Dominic Team, right? Mm-hmm. He goes down two sets to one. He really looked down and out, just physically had not imposed himself at all in the match, was not only letting Team dictate and yank him around 
outer third to outer third, but just he didn't look like himself. And then, of course, he gathered. He found that gear that he's always able to find, and he took the last two sets fairly comfortably, 6-3, 6-4, but was in control for the majority of both of those sets. Now, you know, for Novak Djokovic, you know, we're not going to see him on a hard court because by the time the six-week suspension's over, it will be clay court season. And, you know, who's to say it will only be six weeks? Again, that's its own discussion for another podcast. Um, But yeah, I, I do think Novak Djokovic, he just... I mean, what is there to say already that there isn't? I'm looking at these. So I'm going to ask you some questions right now. Over the past 52 weeks uh, on the ATP leaderboards, and they do their serve rating, which is how they rank the effectiveness of player serves. And it's a combination of first serve percentage, percentage of points, one on the first serve, one on the second serve, what percentage of your service games you're winning, average aces, average double faults, all of those sorts of things. If I were to ask you right now, and I am asking you, um, so it's not a word, but where do you think Djokovic ranks right now in terms of serve rating on the ATP tour over the past 52 weeks I mean uh I'll say top three top three that's bold and so the top three right now Isner Rayonich Opelka I don't think that surprises anyone. I thought I was gonna maybe crack I didn't think Isner would be that far up there over the last 52 weeks but okay yeah, so they're num- top three. Kyrios number four. Again, all of these names make sense. Roger Federer, number five, sure. Nadal, six, a little bit surprising. And then yeah, Djokovic, surprising. And then Djokovic, seven. That's See, also I put, surprising. I would have put Djokovic above Nadal and Fed, but okay. Yeah. No, but it's just surprising because you think of Novak Djokovic and you flip gears here. You talk about the return leaders. Him and Nadal are Nadal 1, Djokovic 2. I mean, certainly, Novak Djokovic can break serve as well as anyone. One could argue uh, very confidently that he's the best returner in the history of our sport, the way he can just step inside the baseline, take balls early, neutralize the shot, or you know, even if he just gets his racket on it, that ball is going to be past the service line and in the center of the court and certainly going to get the point back to neutral. That's his greatest strength. Out, you know, He's also the, one of the best, if not the best, mover of all time, as flexible as any player we've ever seen play this game. Um, but it's the confidence right now I think he has on the first serve. And it's so interesting that you know the serve was the thing he struggled with the most early in his career. And that's just not the case anymore. And that comes with experience. You certainly expect to be uh, a more uh, confident server at age 33 than you are at age 23 just by virtue of repetitions, right? It's the Malcolm Gladwell theory. You spend 10,000 hours doing anything and you're going to get better at it. But, uh, you know, I'm curious because you look at the big picture right now, and we talked about this in our first few weeks of mini breaks. It does feel like finally, week in, week out, I'm not going to say the tour right now belongs to the next gen because until they break through at the slams, certainly it's still the time of the big three. But week in, week out, we are seeing more and more consistency and more and more great performances from individual next gen guys, whether it's, you know, Christian Guerin or Tiago Sabeth Vild or Casper Ruud or just. Any of these Tsitsipas obviously is the uh, is the the big one, but any of these young guys, uh, you know, they are still working to break through, and we've seen so many of them now. Miamir Kasmanovic is of the world as well. Hubie Hercatches get inside the top fifty, but I'm curious if you think Djokovic right now getting off to this start is more a product of his level of play, or is it a product of 
And this is a Ben Rothenberg, No Challenges Remaining podcast theory. They always said it's just going to come to a certain point where the big three get so old and the guy they used to use was Milos Raonic, right? It's just, there's just going to be a certain point in time where Milos Raonic, just by being young and how good he was, was going to be how good you had to be to win a slam, right? That was just going to be the threshold. And I'm curious right now, it just seems like for Novak Djokovic, even if his play isn't quite as refined as it was in 2015, I just don't think anyone else, Nadal excluded, I'm not going to say Federer right now because he's got injured, but Nadal excluded has reached that level. And we thought we saw Medvedev make that breakthrough at the end of last season. Now he struggled a little bit more at the beginning of this season. But I do think right now, part of the reason for Djokovic's success is there's just no natural counter for him. There's no natural rival for him to be facing in week out, week out. And that's a product of, look, Nadal, Federer, they're not going to be playing every weekend. The week Nadal or Djokovic was in Dubai, Nadal Dahl happened to be in Acapulco, but there's just not a large availability. You know, the Ferrers, the Burdiches, the Delpos, they're not playing right now. I mean, Federer isn't either. And I'm curious if you think, is it, do you think part of the reason he's undefeated right now, not having success, he's having success because he's one of, if not the greatest player of all time, but the reason he's having this degree of success is because we are just in a transition period where the Zverevs and the Tsitsipas of the world just week in, week out, they just can't hit that level of the Novak Djokovic? I think it's a fair take. Um, you know, it, it's it's a different competitive landscape than it was even, you know, in Djokovic's incredibly impressive 2011, right? Um, when you have some of those guys you mentioned, but also a Nadal um, who's up at that level. And, and so it's a bit different now because you see, I mean, look, how many times we're going to talk about the big three just holding on to the biggest <laughs> titles and not letting anybody break through, right? I mean, we, we could talk about that forever. Um, I think it's fair. I mean, Djokovic has looked really good and really solid. Um, I think part of it, too, is that he just has has so much confidence. If he wanted to, in my mind, if someone told him before, I was like, okay, no messing around. You have to win this match two and two or better, like he could, against anybody on the tour. Um, and that's obviously, maybe that's a bit exaggerated, but you get my point, right? Mm-hmm. It's like some of these matches that are going closer, I think – I think he's just doing things in match that he just wants to. He's like, yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll play with this, right? When we see rock solid Djokovic come out and do what he needs to against this competitive field, it's just not as close as it was when the big three, big four, like a Murray is always around and knocking at his door and beating him, especially looking at that 2016 season. An informed Federer, a Nadal who's looking really good and feeling good physically, right? These next-gen guys, you know, despite the fact that there are multiple multiple of them in the top 10 now, right? I mean, you've got Medvedev, Sitsipas, Vera, Berrettini, all in that top 10 crop, yet they're still not at that level, right? And so there is definitely a drop-off, and, and that, that's got to be a part of it. That just has yeah. to be. No, I, I want to read you real quickly the top 20 from both 2011 and 2015 to sort of accentuate this point. I mean, you look at it where we were March 7th, 2011. Nadal won, Federer 2, Djokovic 3. Some things never change. Um, but then Robin Soderling was 4. He's out. Andy Murray, 5. Unfortunately, you know, especially for us Murray stands, uh, he's out as well. David Ferrer, number 6. He's gone. Burdich, 7. Gone. Roddick, 8. Gone. Fernando Verdasco, still alive, but not the Fernando Verdasco that was 
number nine in the world. And by the way, it's been nine years. He was 27 in 2011. He's now 36. I don't think anyone would expect that. You know, Jurgen Meltzer, no longer around. Nicholas Almagro, no longer around. Mikhail Yuzny, no longer around. Marty Fish, no. Lubicic, coaching Federer. Joe Wilfred Songa, no. Victor Troisky, no. Nelbantian, no. Chilich has significantly fallen off. The only two guys who I didn't read that are in the top 20 still sort of competing at the same level of Novak Djokovic are Gael Monfils, who was number 11 back then, and he's still showing a great level right now. And then Stan Wawrinka, who was number 14 back then. Now, you even fast forward to 2015, and you just look at the crop, and again, it was Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, Murray, top four, but Kei Nishikori struggled with injuries. Milos Raonic struggled with injuries, uh, and obviously those were two guys I think a lot of us expected to take the leap and take control of the ATP, certainly at this time, and if not take control, then at the very least be competing and maybe even having won a slam at this point. That just hasn't happened, and you continue to look. Again, names like David Ferrer, Tomas Burdich, gone. Guys like Chilich, Dimitrov, not competing at the level they once were. Uh, although Dimitrov's worked his way back, so they might not be fair to him, but then, you know, Feliciano Lopez, Joe Wilfred Songa again, Jill Simone, Ernest, uh, uh, Ernest Golbis, Kevin Anderson's dealt with injuries, Tommy Robredo. I mean, these guys just you know, they didn't last. And that's a testament to the greatness of so many of these players in the big three. But it also speaks to the fact that, you know, as as everyone has risen up and down the rankings, the only thing that's lasted, the only thing that's sustained is the play of the big three. And in particular, I mean, the play of Novak Djokovic this season. It's it, I do think that speaks, Jamie, to the fact that these guys haven't broken through at the level. Uh, these other young guys haven't broken through yet and shown the level that we maybe expect expected them. Or maybe it really just is Novak Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer are just that much better than everyone else who's ever played. I mean, again, I'll say it's some of both. I I do think that these three guys go down. Obviously, you know, who knows what's to come. Um, But I mean, these guys have asserted themselves as the top of the game, the best we've ever seen. And that's just, it's just true at this point. I mean, the level that they've established and pushed each other to find is just ridiculous. And I think they got to such a high level that they have, they could afford a bit of a drop-off. Um, even though you see some of those great competitors, even guys you know who have won slams drop off and sort of be weeded out, new guys coming in, I mean, they could afford a bit of a drop-off because they were at such a ridiculously high level that no one was even going to come close to it um, when it came to the biggest events, when it came to dominating the tour, right? Um, And so that's why it was such a shock, even when anybody was able to make sort of inroads to that. You know, at this point, you know, some of the guys you you mentioned in those lists, I think that people like Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Zverev can have better careers than and will have better careers than. The problem is just not yet. And the fact that Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, they've all still been you know, working on their games as well. Sure, some things just have diminished, right? Nadal probably not going to be able to scramble and grind as as best as he once could. Federer just not at his peak performance. I mean, the guy's in his late 30s, right? Uh, But the point is they established such a high level, and Djokovic being slightly younger in that area, at least coming to fruition in his career younger, is able to stave this off a little longer. That's why I think he's got a great edge when it comes to actually getting the total major and grand slam count because he came in a little younger. He's got a little bit fresher wheels. He's got a little more years left in him, I think, than the other two. Um, And the next-gen guys just have not been able to break through because he's so solid. And it's intimidating. 
right? Yeah. You get to this point, and the next gen guys are going up against Djokovic and Nadal Federer. It is such a, I mean, it's just such a mental gauntlet at this point going up against these guys who have proven so many times, like, yeah, we're in our mid to late 30s, and we're still going to beat you. Like, yeah. and it's just, that's who we are, right? Maybe it's like, is it is it old man? Is it dad? An old man strength? Is that what it is? <laughs> is, is that the equivalent on the ATP tour? I don't know. Um, but you get my point, right? They've, they've established such a high level, and even if they've come off a little bit in the tennis um, itself, they have so much confidence. Their mental games are so strong at this point, and the next-gen guys just quite haven't quite gone to that level. Yeah, I think that's fair. Now, looking at the ranking list for right now, it does feel like, and you mentioned some of the names, uh, the big one you didn't include just because he's a little bit older, Dominic Team, who's at number yeah. three right now, he's 26 years old. And, right. you know, Medvedev, 24, Tsitsipas, 21, Zverev, 22, Berrettini, 23, guys like Rublev, 22, Shapovalov, 20, Hachinov, 23, Garin, 23, of course, FA 19. Uh, that's the next generation. That's why they're called the mm-hmm. next gen. And I don't think Djokovic, Federer, or Nadal, and if they are able to hold off a, we'll call it a third, maybe even fourth generation of players, then, you know, what are we really doing? Like, do we even need tennis? Maybe it's good that we're not going to see tennis. Maybe it's that's the only thing that can defeat these guys is father time. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's definitely somewhere in the middle, and it's just fascinating to see. And so my final question on this, and then we can wrap this bad boy up, but for Novak Djokovic, the level we've seen from him, when do you think that was the last time he was playing this well? If you were to compare his level, do you Ooh. think it's similar to his 2015 stretch? Do you think it's similar to maybe that beginning of, I think it was 20, uh, or the end of 2018 and the beginning of 2019 when he started to look a little bit dominant again? Or, you know, it, is it more the 2015-16 model or more that 18-19 model? It's different. I mean, obviously, you want to say the 18-19 just because it's a little more recent. But, I mean, in terms of domination so far, you know, when he turns it on, it does have, I'll call it I'll call it early to mid-2016 uh, feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. It really does. Um, and, you know, it's for a lot of reasons. Yeah, the tennis looks slightly different. Yeah, he's employing new things, maybe some more aggression, going after his serve more, um, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, he's still getting results. Um, and... It's going to be a dangerous time for the rest of the ATP, you know, especially if people are getting injured, like Federer not being around. I mean, Djokovic, you and I talked about, you know, how many slams he could potentially win this year. I mean, I don't know, outside of maybe the French, I don't know how he goes into one not being the favorite. Yeah, I, I, certainly. And again, it you know this six weeks off, it could be longer than that. But when you're over the age of thirty, you need all the breaks you can get. And Absolutely. we've talked so long. You know, is there even a tennis off season? And you know, I'm not the first to make this joke. If you're on tennis Twitter, everyone's made every joke at this point. But maybe this little built-in off season is not only going to be good for uh, the older guys, but maybe these young guys. Hey, they look at the film from the first two months. Okay, this is what I did wrong. This is what I could do better. Certainly, so many of these young guys are going to have continue to have shots um, and I, at these top three. And I do think it was beneficial as Zverev made his first semifinal before this went down. But, you know, to mm-hmm. get that sort of confidence boost, Tsitsipas has been in a semifinal before. Dominic Team, another final for him at the slam. So clearly, you know, this first non-French Open final, clearly his confidence continues to grow greater and greater at those events. But, yeah, I... 
you know, that it's interesting because that 2016 season, as good as Djokovic was at the start of it, that was the year Andy Murray ended the year ranked number one. And you're starting right. to think to yourself, oh, maybe this is going to be another season where are we going to see a non-Djokovic, non-Nadal, non-Federer world number one at the end of the year? And, you know, I thought it was a possibility at the beginning of it, but given the start to Novak Djokovic seasons, I mean— he he looks phenomenal, and you're yeah. right. It, it, the the big word that you mentioned that we both mentioned it's confidence, right? There's just and you can end end your thoughts here, but there's he hasn't been play, you know in terms of his confidence level, it's as high as it's ever been. Yeah, and he has every right for it to be. You know, he's beat everybody. I mean, even in just this year, you know, I, I don't think has he gone. Yeah, I mean, he has seriously beaten everybody, right? Any of the top yeah. contenders beats team in the final, beat Federer in the semis, beat Nadal in ATP Cup. Um, even beat some of the young guns, right? He beat, what, Sitsipas and Hashinov in Dubai. Um, so, I mean, he's he's beating all the people who are anybody are talking about as contenders pushing up toward him, right? And so he's asserting himself as the top of the game, and there's no reason to to say otherwise until we see something different. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And so my, uh, yeah, I think we can wrap there. I guess let's go, last question to you, hypothetical. The first mm-hmm. loss Novak Djokovic takes this season, assuming, and this is a big assumption, by the way, but let's say we get play back in action by the French Open. Let's say there's only maybe one warm-up event on clay to that, and then we get right mm-hmm. to the French Open. When is the first time Novak Djokovic loses this season? And again, people are looking for optimism, so we're going to be optimistic and say he's going. There, we are going to see tennis again this season. His first loss comes when? I mean, yeah, if we're starting at the French it's realistic to say that his first loss comes there. Um, I mean, God, if he, if he runs through the French and wins it, then this is even scarier, right? Because who knows what he can't do. I mean, you know, typically that's where we've seen him have the least success. Um, so if he's winning that, right, everybody needs to watch out. But I mean, this is one realistically, um, that team matches a five setter. Um, if the level of play is equivalent there in a French open team probably wins that match. So you think maybe team could knock him out. Nadal, obviously at Roland Garros, always going to be a threat to take him out. Um, but realistically, I mean, look, if he looks good at the French and he wins that, I mean, who knows? Other than that though, if we're starting at the French, I say it's realistic. He loses at the French. Yeah, that that's probably the safe bet is to just assume Nadal's the favorite until someone beats him. But man, if there are no warm up events, I mean, you know, Rafa's only a year older than Djokovic, but in tennis years, he's like seventeen years yeah, older. He's just way older. His, yeah, because of his knees. Yeah, I mean, oh, if we see an, the only thing that could make up for what's going to be a brutal next eight weeks plus for all of us would be if at the end of it we got to see an undefeated season out of Novak Djokovic. How special that would be and yeah, be know, wild. To, yeah, and if he plays Davis Cup, maybe they'll be like, fine, we'll let you into Labor Cup. You can play this year, Novak, because you're <laughs> undefeated. Uh, that would be really cool as well. But that's our conversation on Novak Djokovic. One other thing I want to talk to you about, Jamie, since I have you here today. As you are listening to this podcast, we at Crack Rackets have launched our newest video series. It's called Overserved. Uh, it is our rundown of you know the most unintentionally coming, because there's so much unintentional comedy in tennis. That's what happens when you put an individual out there for you know their competing by themselves. There are going to be spontaneous combustions. There's just going to be funny things. Half of these guys were homeschooled their whole lives, and so their social skills, not the most well-refined. And so we wanted to create a video series that highlighted those things and emphasized part of the joy we take, not just from the results that we get to see, not just from the level of play we get to see, but just from the tennis world in general. Can you give a bit more of a rundown, Jamie, on that? Because you were so instrumental in helping us write it all. 
No, it's great, right? It's it's something that I feel a lot of people, um, at least on the Cracked Rackets team, have felt it's just sort of been missing, right? You know, we do a lot of things when it comes to podcasts and just general coverage. But, you know, even though we're talking about the storylines, you know, what can we make funny out of those storylines? What can we really pick at? What can we add a new sort of dynamic element to, right? And so if we're talking about that big three group chat that exists between the big three, Djokovic, Nadal, and Fed, um, you know, whether we're talking about some of the American guys being goofy, Opelka, Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz. Right, so it's always fun to be able to look at some of these videos, some of the fun things we see on tennis Twitter. Give our reactions, give a new spin on it. Um, you know, I think it's going to add another element to our content, and, and I'm really excited to be pushing it out there. It's going to be good. Absolutely, yeah, completely agree with you there. And look, we're all in need of a laugh right now. You need something to take yeah. your mind off of it. These are ten minutes where you will just enjoy yourself. It's laid back. It's very fun. Um, and again, shout out to you, Jamie, for all the help you had in writing and helping me write that and perform that. We we cut all the cringeworthy jokes, so you are getting the best 10 minutes i promise uh but yeah it's, it's a really fun series so hopefully you all can go give that a look you can find it on our youtube channel cracked rackets i believe it will be tweeted out instagrammed out all throughout social media dalton never fails uh to get the most out of tweeting out some content we produce so be on the lookout for all of that we also as i mentioned great conversation with john wertheim about the ongoing coronavirus mm-hmm. impact on the atp and wta tours we talk about what role labor unions could have played and perhaps making things a little bit more clear for players. It's crazy to say that it was only a week ago today that Indian Wells was canceled and just... That seems... Ca- wow. That yeah, seems it, off. Sorry. <laughs> that no, just seems wrong. I feel like we've been I, talking about this for so long. Yeah, no. Each day was a year last week, and it's like my hairline reflects it. It is not looking great right now. Although, hey, I'm looking like Rafa, um, and it's just not a great thing. But yeah, I mean, uh, so go check that conversation out with John Wertheim. It's a really fun one. We will continue to have cracked interviews, and I think all of the cracked interviews we've done throughout the past year, uh, again, if you're looking for things to do, go play those, because there are plenty of good ones you can look to as well. I talk about all the video content we have been doing on our website. Shout out to the super producers. Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job they continue to do. Jamie and I can write up all of our funny ideas all we want, but it doesn't happen without the hard work they do. And then again, as we've talked about, we're going to be looking at the bigger storylines, the bigger controversies that we've seen thus far through the 2020 tennis season. If you, the listener, have any recommendations, any topics, any players you would like us to hit specifically, be sure to direct message us or tweet at us. It's at Cracked Rackets on Instagram, Twitter. Um, for us personally, I believe it's at Jamie McDonald for you, at Great Shot Pod for me. Just let us know. We're happy to take suggestions as well. Jamie, <clears throat> it's a shame uh, your high school tennis coaching career has come to a brief hiatus, although certainly, you know, we, we maybe we can work in some coaching tutorials as well just to keep you fresh. But any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? Yeah, only final thought. Your your hairline was in trouble before last week. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> No, I think we got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, no no counterpoint for me there. I completely agree with you. But for our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, for our friends at Diadem Sports, and again, we can't emphasize enough how much we appreciate at Crack Rackets, their continued support. The least we can ask you fans to do, go to their website, diademsports.com. Use our promo code CR50. Get 50% off all of your tennis needs from our friends at Aerobar. The promo code Crack30, 30% off your order of tennis-specific energy bars and look i believe it was mark stein today saying look and, and in a bunch of states they're closing bars they're closing you know uh restaurants and all these different things you can never uh it's never going to be more needed than now to have that quick energy bar on hand so be sure to go check out our friends at aero bar and from all of us here from my 
lovely co-host, I forgot to mention him, James Foster McDonald. And from all of us here at both Cracked Records and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.